It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this Wednesday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. It is the day of cleanup. Yeah, you look out your window. If you're living in Salt Lake County, there is a high likely Davis Weber. Here's a high even further north. You are probably looking out at a yard full of limbs, maybe uh, entire trees, uh, certainly some leaves, maybe the uh, the sidings peeling back on the side of the house, maybe some of those shingles up on the roof have come loose. Uh, it was a, It was a scary 24 hours. And right now we are making our way into cleanup. You still got to be careful, though. You still have to be very careful. Uh, There are going to be some uh, power lines whose uh, status is a little uncertain. So be sure that you know uh, what is going on. If there's a a tree in your yard, some limbs, and they are down uh, over top of a power line, uh, you got to be certain what you're facing there. You don't want to. You don't want to get into some trouble that could be avoided. Uh, which brings me to the first uh, topic of this program. Well, actually, you know what? Before I get to this, I want to uh, let you know uh, I-, I was right. I guessed something yesterday uh, that the governor would be uh, declaring a state of uh, emergency, and that declaration uh, has been now made. And I, uh, I just want to say um, w- what that does for us here in, in Utah, in particular uh, in the areas uh, hardest hit by this windstorm, uh, it, it does two things, really. It first up uh, qualifies us and opens up the, the doors for certain federal fundings to come aid in the cleanup efforts. And it also uh, allows the, the governor, should the need arise, uh, to, to mobilize some National Guard troops to be able to aid in the, in the cleanup efforts uh, after this windstorm. So that's what that means. And interestingly enough, we this year, just because of the because of the nature of 2020, all the nonsense that we have endured, all of uh, all of the the challenges and struggles, we have seen a number of emergency declarations. Uh, if I get some time later on, I'm going to comb through the history books and see if there has ever been uh, a period of time here in Utah's history when so many emergency declarations have been uh, declared. Uh, we've got the pandemic, of course. We've got the earthquake of this year, and um, I will uh, uh, make sure that we get a full accounting of all of the declarations and compare that historically. Just see how we uh, how we stand uh, this uh, this year. Uh, all right. So carbon monoxide. I need to talk to you about carbon monoxide, uh, and I, and I want to invite you to, to to work with me on this. We're going to walk through some of the things to watch out for because in this like aligning of the planets where uh, the the power is out still uh, across a good chunk of Utah and while the temperatures are uh, unseasonably low, it's cold out there. I'm wearing a sweater here for the first time this year, and I, that perfect storm so to speak, that aligning of the planets can lead to uh, some carbon monoxide risk. So we're going to walk through uh, the guidance uh, from the health department, specifically as uh, voiced by uh, a doctor working with the with Intermountain Medical uh, Hyperbaric Medicine uh, organization there within Intermountain uh, Medical Center and LDS Hospital. Dr. Lynn Weaver will give us some tips here in a moment. Uh, I want you to, as you hear this, think to yourself, do you have someone in your family who maybe you haven't checked on uh, in the past 24 hours? Maybe there's a family friend, maybe someone in the in the ward or at church or something 
where maybe we ought to just be 100% sure that their uh, heating needs are taken care of and they're not being taken care of in a way uh, that might endanger them uh, and expose them to uh, carbon monoxide exposure. So uh, let's get right to it. This morning, uh, Amy had a conversation with this Dr. Weaver, and the the doctor left us some good comments. So I want to make sure you hear all of those and have an opportunity to just kind of assess your own situation and maybe think about uh, members of your family and community who may be benefited by this. Because, and I don't mean to be, you know, overly dramatic here, but these tips quite literally can make the difference between life and death. All right. Uh, So Amy, this morning, spoke to Dr. Weaver. uh, And Dr. Weaver started off by saying that we need to make sure uh, that your home has uh, carbon monoxide detectors, not just in the great room or the living room, but also in the bedrooms. Uh, First question asked of Dr. Weaver, what to do if the alarm goes off? If the alarm goes off, call somebody to investigate. Now, if the alarm goes off and you're sick, that's a different situation. Sure, it's still fine to call the gas company, but now if you're sick, you need to get out of that place. You need to get outside, get fresh air, and call 911 and get medical help. So then the ambulance folks, the EMTs, the paramedics will come, and they'll do what they do. Uh, And indeed, some of these people need to go to the hospital and be assessed in the emergency setting. Now, what about false alarms? You know, when when the battery's running out, you hear the beeps for the fire alarm. Anything similar? Uh, The doctor talks about that. Unfortunately, I've had patients who've actually turned their alarm off or they've put it outside or something because they didn't want to be bothered only a few hours later be very ill and come in with carbon monoxide poisoning requiring treatment. So what I'm saying is heed the alarm. Pay attention to the alarm. If it's going off and you feel fine, you still need to get the gas company in or a heating uh, HVAC, they call themselves heating expert in, to check what's going on. Where is it coming from? Is it the, the furnace, the boiler, a hot water heater, a, a, top, a stovetop you know, oven, a, all that stuff? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from a neighbor that your home is attached to, like a condo, and they left their car running? Unfortunately, I've treated now several patients in which the car was left running and they were poisoned, and it wasn't even their car. It was their neighbor's car. So this stuff can really sneak up on people. I'm short on time today, but I uh, have witnessed this firsthand. Uh, I I luckily have been able to avoid any type of carbon monoxide poisoning myself, but uh, a good friend of mine, uh, she and her roommates, they had uh, quite a scare and to, to watch uh, her in the aftermath and those friends, they are dealing now with likely lifelong uh, impacts on their minds and on their bodies. Uh, and it's a heartbreaking thing, and it could have been avoided. And it could have been avoided. Uh, lastly, before we go to break, here is an important uh, list of things you ought to know, and it's symptoms, all right? Maybe you don't have a carbon monoxide detector. You should have one. You should absolutely have one. Uh, but if you don't uh, and you start feeling a little funny, here specifically is what you need to look for. Headache nausea, vomiting, don't feel well, weakness. Gee, it sounds like a flu. Well, you shouldn't have a fever, so that's a difference. Often multiple people are affected at about the same time, so that can be a little different than a flu. Uh, and, but you got to think about, gee, could I be exposed to something? And these poisonings can go on for days, weeks, even months, over and over and over. You know, you leave the house or something and feel better. You come back, you feel sick. So carbon monoxide is easy to detect by machines, but we can't detect it ourselves. 
We can't taste it or smell it. So we use detectors, carbon monoxide alarms. Everybody needs a carbon monoxide alarm. Uh, and at-risk people, older people, women that are pregnant, people like that, they really need a low-level alarm also. All right, time for a break. Your homework assignment, though, uh, is to check on those you love. Check on those members of your community. If you're unsure how they're heating their place right now while the power is still out and while these temperatures are low, uh, there are some of us who are going to try to get creative on how to heat the house, and sometimes uh, grave mistakes can be made. Let's fight carbon monoxide uh, and make sure everyone's up to speed on this. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, I'm so pleased to be joined by Debbie Dejanovic of David Dejanovic on Mornings here at KSL News Radio. We're going to talk about uh, a number of trees which have fallen and caused some damage at cemeteries around the state. Yeah, tragic stuff, unfortunately. We'll get those details next up on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry and KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I like I like this music. Josh, this is a good choice. This music here in the background, this makes me sound like aggressive and tough and like we're charging full steam ahead into some exciting uh, topic, which is always the case, right? I mean, that's what we do on Live Mike. Exciting, engaging, aggressive topics. All right. Well, we're going to talk about trees tipping over in cemeteries now. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, am joined in studio by uh, Debbie Dejanovic. So grateful to you for coming in here this morning. You had an interesting conversation with uh, the mayor of Hiram, Utah. They have a cemetery there, which has been hit pretty hard by this windstorm. And there are a uh, uh, how many trees did you say have, have been toppled? 33. 33. 33 th- trees in Hiram City Cemetery alone. This, of course, doesn't account for all of the other cemeteries, right. uh, like Fort Douglas Cemetery, uh, Salt Lake City Cemetery, Which Cemetery is in Logan. Yep. Yeah. All these trees just fell over, and uh, Mayor Stephanie Miller called the show, and I had a conversation with her before the show, and... She said the devastation in Hiram, which is just for context, is about an hour and 10 minutes north of Salt Lake City uh, in the Cache Valley area. About 9,000 people live there. She said it's just a hur- like a hurricane came through town. Here she is describing on your program this morning what happened to the trees there in the cemetery. This is pretty devastating. These trees are completely uprooted. It's not just that they're broken off. And so as they've uprooted... What it's done is it's lifted some of the headstones and moved them. And, you know, those are things that we can put back. And there's just a couple of them that we noticed were damaged so far. And they're some of the older headstones that are in the cemetery. Who who bears the responsibility for maintaining those headstones, do you know? Well, she said that that things were still a little bit unclear, but... The fact that the headstones didn't have major damage to it, it sounded as though the city was going to pick up any costs associated with moving them back into place. She also um, delicately discussed the topic of uh, the caskets and had anything been, um, you know, disturbed in that regard when these massive, very, very old trees were suddenly uprooted yesterday. Honestly, that was exactly my first thought. When I heard first that the Salt Lake City Cemetery was closed and I started hearing reports like this and I heard that there was some significant damage in Hiram, I thought to myself, uh, well, first off, we've seen these images, right, of these massive, massive trees. Uh, they come over and their root systems are so spread out, even there at the base, that it, uh, I mean, it, it brings up a lot of earth. They're sprawling root systems that are shallow. Right. And a lot of these, especially the blue spruce, which I've stood by many, many uprooted trees and windstorms as a TV news reporter, and I've always felt as though these blue spruce would never I would never allow one in my front yard. Well, they're so beautiful to look at, but in these cemeteries, 
those were the some of the you know massive trees to topple over. The the question that I had was. Do these toppling trees, did they have in these cemeteries, did they unearth any graves? And, well, the, the mayor this morning on your program uh, answered that, as you put it, delicately. And that was my concern when we walked up there, that the roots were shallow enough and those graves are six feet down. And so as that lifts up, those graves are they're in a vault. And I didn't see any vaults. So, it, you know, the roots did not go down far enough to be able to disturb any of those that that I have seen. So that's a no. There were there were no graves unearthed uh, or whatever. There's a proper word for that, right? When you exhumed, uh, there, there there were no graves. There was no uh, desecration of any bodies there, which is a, a good thing and a lucky thing, too. I mean, I don't know much about trees and how they work or when they topple over and what they do to the ground, but uh, we were lucky that uh, that these graves weren't disturbed. I look at the story and I looked through all of the emails that we had received from residents who had stopped by the different uh, city cemeteries to to check out the damage. It just broke my heart because I thought it's hard enough uh, to lose a loved one um, and bury them. And you, you walk away from it thinking that nothing will ever be disturbed. I mean, this is their final resting place, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Mother Nature has a different idea and uh, topples a, uh, you know, 100-year-old blue spruce or pine tree and smothers their grave in their gravestone and, and, and their headstone. And, and those can cost, you know, I priced them this morning just out of curiosity, you know, $500 to Five thousand dollars or more, depending on the really nice ones. Uh, but in, at least in the case of Hiram, it looks like those headstones were shifted, and that the city will, and some of them slightly damaged. The, they'll do the repairs and then shift them back into place. But they lost half of all their trees just in that cemetery. Stunning. And then what went on in the neighborhood surrounding uh, is just as bad. I had a conversation yesterday on the program with a, uh, a an arborist. Uh, he works for Utah State University, a doctor up there, uh, and I talked to him about uh, these trees, the, the the ones that have toppled over, including the the thirty three some odd trees to come down in the Hiram Cemetery. And my question was, and I felt a little you know bashful for asking because it probably revealed some <laughs> some tree ignorance on my part. <laughs> but it was simply, uh, can you just like stand those trees back up? Uh, can you get those? What? Well, I thought I don't know. I mean, trees are pretty resilient things, right? They withstand you know most weather. Uh, Did well, he, he tell you the way weigh about fifty thousand tons. Yeah, he uh, uh, he w- withheld much uh, snickering and said, uh, "No, son, uh, no, you you can't just stand a tree back up. But once it topples over, uh, that's it. It's over." But he, here's what he did tell me, which I. Uh, which I didn't know. He says that uh, that the majority of the trees that are susceptible to toppling over, even even in the the, the winds the, the wind speeds of yesterday, that a good healthy tree uh, should be able to withstand what we experienced yesterday, and that the trees that toppled over likely had uh, some sort of you know I put it in COVID terms uh, some sort of pre-existing condition. Uh, and and I wonder if what we're to learn now is, is something about tree health. I wonder if uh, if you know nature kind of said we got to get out the weak ones and uh, and maybe going forward we'll keep a closer eye on what he called like root rot and there were some other uh, some other uh, problems that trees face which made them susceptible to toppling over. So as luck would have it, um, one of my trees, the largest tree on my property, which I only have uh, about six trees. So this one's, I was told when I bought the house, it was going to grow to 80 feet. And Mm -hmm. my oldest daughter at the time said, let's get it out of the yard right away because it, it towers over the house and towers over the neighbor's house. Well, it caught a fungus last year Mm. and I didn't know this until it, 
maybe in June, it started to look like it was all the leaves were turning and falling off. And I called USU Extension Service, which exactly. they are a That's great resource for people who have any issues with their trees. And I, and and the woman I talked to said, I, I believe that she had a couple of dozen of reports from my community of the same type of fungus. And um, I thought I was going to have to have the tree removed, in which case I just started wondering, you know, do I start a GoFundMe to get this <laughs> tree removed? Because I'm sure it'll cost me three to $4,000 to have this tree removed from the yard. And uh, my neighbor came over and she said, I'm really worried about this tree because if it topples, Deb, it takes out our entire house. Um, I had the tree treated this year for a couple of hundred dollars. And I had it treated in the spring per USU's suggestion. I called a private, a private tree company that came out and treated it. It was a couple of hundred dollars and Lee... That tree looks brand new. And it it withstood the winds of yesterday. It withstood the winds. In fact, uh, that was the one place that I made sure my daughter went out and looked uh, yesterday when I texted her. Because I was here when all these winds started picking up. And I was worried about the tree. And I said, just run outside and make sure that thing didn't go into Margie and Jeff's home. Um, Because it's looking healthy. But as you learned yesterday in the interview, maybe you just don't really know how healthy it is until... These winds come along. And there are a lot of trees, right? And there are a lot of trees to keep track of. Uh, you know, ho- hopefully hopefully we've, I don't know, maybe yesterday was some sort of like a, a tree fungus purge. As you get ready, uh, Lee, to, you know, decide where you're going to live, Yeah. Um, any lessons that you learned from watching all this damage? Uh, got to be mindful of the roof. You got to make sure that you're, you, you've got a good, uh, strong roof. Uh, you have to make di- sure distance between the tree and the ho- trees in your home. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You get up there, you, f- you, you do the math. So if it topples over, <laughs> ju- you want to clear the, you want to clear the carport. Just right. Yeah. Uh, keep, keep an eye on, on tree health. I think is the, the big one uh, that I took away yesterday. I was, I was stunned. I thought that it was just like a physics lesson, right? The, the wind overpowered the tree, but, uh, in most cases, at least according to the, the doctor, at the extension there, USU, uh, it was uh, an unhealthy tree that, uh, or unhealthy trees rather, the ones that were falling over just yesterday. And the price to uh, treat them, just a couple hundred dollars. The price to remove them from your neighbor's roof, probably a lot more than that. Stunning. Uh, Deputy Janovic, thank you so much. Thanks, uh, thanks for the updates. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, uh, as you go out and start your day today, you look at the damage to the car and to your home, uh, one of your first phone calls should be to the insurance company. Uh, what should you tell them? What should you ask them? Uh, we'll get those details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. 105 is the time here in the KSL Newsroom. Homeowners and auto insurance. You may be having conversations with uh, these two companies uh, over the next uh, few days and weeks as you begin uh, the effort to clean up uh, your yard, uh, your car, your home in the wake of the high winds of yesterday. Countless, countless hundreds, if not thousands of trees were toppled uh, across Utah, and many of those uh, came crashing down on top of homes and on top of cars, causing great damage. And uh, when all is said and done, you know, someone's got to pick up the tab for that damage. And have you covered yourself uh, appropriately through your homeowner's insurance or your auto insurance to uh, to get some help with that? And, uh, well, let's go to the experts. And so if you remember, if you remember way back when, I think it was March 18th, uh, we had a conversation uh, with the commissioner of the Utah Insurance Department. Uh, the, the question was then, after all the damage sustained by 
homes and businesses uh, due to the earthquake. But what are the options available to folks? And, well, uh, earthquake coverage is something you, you most typically have to opt into. Uh, that was an unfortunate reality for many folks to, to, to learn. Uh, wind damage, a little bit of a different story. Uh, and so to get us all up to speed and informed uh, here, we are joined by Todd Kaiser, Commissioner of the Utah Insurance Department. Mr. Kaiser, thank you for your time. How are you? Thank you, uh, Lee. I'm I'm well, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you uh, this afternoon on your show. T- tell me about your own home and vehicle. W- were you able to steer clear of any uh, damage yesterday as a result of these windstorms? Well, thank you for asking. I actually live in Manti. I uh, I have a, a a small apartment in uh, Salt Lake City, but we had a microburst come by that blew away one of my sheds. So I'm familiar with this. Uh, with with wind damage and uh, but, but uh, we we didn't see the winds in San Pete County that you had uh, north uh, of Salt Lake City and uh, the damage that was done up there. But uh, certainly a lot of uh, trees blew over and uh, and insurance is uh, designed to uh, be an instrument to help people recover from that kind of uh, loss. And uh, wind is one of the standard. Uh, insurance uh, coverages that come with almost all insurance policies. It's good to talk to your insurance agent and make sure there are some exclusions. There's uh, ex- there's always across the board with uh, with insurance. There's always differences in policies. And if you live in the Gulf Gulf states, a Louisiana and a Texas, you have to buy special windstorm coverage. But that's not true in Utah. It's standard to your, to your uh, insurance policy. Far fewer, and, uh, far fewer hurricanes coming through Utah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, not, not, yeah, we're not, hopefully we don't see tornadoes either. But, uh, you know, windstorm is, is described as a, a wind strong enough that's going to damage your house. And, uh, but there are things that would be on your home property that your homeowner's policy then windstorm is not going to cover, and that would be your auto or a boat or a recreational vehicle or a trailer that's, you know, a, a travel trailer that you have uh-huh. on your property. Those are not going to be covered by your homeowner's policy, and so you would have to have specific coverage, comp and collision, yeah. specifically comprehensive coverage if a tree fell on your 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 automobile or, or your boat. So uh, your homeowner's policy isn't going to give you coverage uh, for uh, you know, for for some yeah. of those uh, other items that you own and, and use with your family. You, Mr. Kaiser, you mentioned that uh, a shed of yours ha- had been blown away. W- what about sheds? Is that an extension of the home, or how does that fit? Yeah, it's an, a shed is described uh, as an appurtenant structure, and uh, and most policies are going to give you appurtenant coverage, uh, appurtenant structure coverage. So uh, so yes. All right. So you should. So I let's say I am waking up this morning or this afternoon rather, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm coming home from work, and it's time now to address the damage uh, sustained to my home, my car. Uh, what do I do? Am I taking pictures? Am I calling the 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 insurance company? What should I do? Uh, you know, as the homeowner, as the car owner, uh, to, to to most you know to, to move forward in this process uh, and receive the most benefit. Well, proof of loss is, is uh, something that the insured has to do. So documenting your loss is always very important. So taking pictures of the damage of what occurred, uh, 
what you lost because uh, a, a claims, you know, may, may may take some time to settle and uh, sometimes memories fade. And so take the mm-hmm. time to uh, to photograph what's been lost, what's been damaged, uh, document it, write down on a, a piece of paper the things that you've lost. If you have receipts uh, for what you paid for things, uh, your fence blew over, and uh, you know you know you, you've lost some things that were on the porch that blew away, and you you had a picture of it uh, from a a party that you had and you go, Oh, I've, I've lost these cushions from off of my, uh, uh, you know, my patio yeah. furniture documenting the losses is important. And, and having proof that you lost that is really very critical. The trees themselves, tr- trees have value. I presume if a tree topples in your yard, it's on your property. Uh, you know, you can't just stand that tree back upright. I learned that yesterday. Uh, that 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 you know what that item that has value to you uh, is now gone. Is is there any role for the insurance? Is there any coverage for the trees themselves? Uh, there's minimal coverage for trees. Typically, an insurance policy will have a limitation, and that limitation is usually five hundred dollars per tree. So if you've lost a thirty-year-old oak tree. Uh, that's giving you shade and comfort for many years. Uh, you're not going to get uh, the, the insurance company to buy you a new uh, a new oak tree. They're going to give you uh, up to five hundred dollars. Is probably most likely uh, what the coverage on your standard uh, homeowner's policy is going to extend for that. And as to debris removal, de- debris removal, and it, it depends upon your specific insurance policy because they all differ but the standard limit the standard policy uh, usually gives you a limitation of one thousand dollars for debris removal so you're going to have a deductible that, that will come into play first and then you'll have uh, you know a thousand dollars towards uh, removing uh, the tree that fell on your property and I think the specific language that is in the policy refers to if it's your tree on your property and it falls down, debris removal will help to take that up. If your neighbor's tree falls onto your property, it has to block a roadway or driveway or do damage to the house. And then debris removal, I believe, extends once that triggers that definition of uh, damage to your uh, home, property, or blocking a driveway. There are municipalities around the state uh, to include Centerville. I have most recently learned of Farmington, and now the governor, at a st- in a statewide sense, has declared uh, a state of emergency. Does that impact uh, insurance claims at all? Does that have any bearing on what uh, on our interactions with uh, the insurer? The insurance policy does not have specific language that says in order to pay, there has to be an emergency declared. That would not be a triggering mechanism uh, in order for an insurance policy to pay. So I, I believe that, that the, the governor declares an emergency uh, so that state and federal money become available to people uh, to, to be able to help them with uh, financial loss. 
Yeah. Uh, listen, Todd Kaiser, thank you so much for your expertise and your time here on the program. Commissioner of the Utah Insurance Department, giving homeowners and auto owners a little bit of insight on what they can expect as they commence uh, the process of interacting with their insurers. Again, sir, thanks for your time. Thank you. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we return, we're going to look at uh, something fascinating. I, we, we had a brief conversation yesterday with uh, KSL meteorologist Grant Wayman and talked a little bit about the science behind what took place yesterday. <laughs> what what circumstances uh, allowed for such strong winds and such a dip in temperature? Well, there is uh, a doctor uh, with UCLA, uh, a professor there, who has stated that you could write an entire meteorology textbook on what has happened over the past few days. I want to walk through some of those observations, share them with you, because I find them fascinating. That is ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. 120 you heard there uh, announced that just after 2 o'clock, we will be hearing from the governor. He has uh, announced the declaration of a state of emergency. Uh, what does that do? Uh, well, we have become very familiar with states of emergency being declared across this state at the municipal level and, of course, at the statewide level. And the, the lesson we've learned is that, well, it opens up the doors to some uh, to some state monies which have been set aside for moments like this, some federal money potentially. And also uh, it gives the, the governor the ability to uh, to mobilize some National Guard troops to help in the in the cleanup of this windstorm, we've got to give it a name. It should have a name, right? The Great Windstorm of 2020 or uh, just another thing piled on the, the heap of headaches <laughs> that have made up this year thus far. Uh, well, so that's coming up at, at 2 o'clock. We'll hear from uh, the governor. Also heard mentioned that uh, Salt Lake City Mayor uh, Aaron Mendenhall will be participating in uh, that briefing. So we'll learn uh, what exactly is the state of things and what the state and the city uh, and maybe beyond are, are doing to uh, to clean up the mess where they need to. So uh, yesterday, 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 I got so excited uh, about a, a conversation that I was uh, that I had with uh, Grant Wayman, KSL Television meteorologist uh, Grant Wayman. I like when you know. I, I certainly was not uh, happy that there was a windstorm, but I do so often enjoy opportunities. To learn, I, I like when things arise, uh, and it leads me and the the rest of the producer staff here to uh, to go down these rabbit holes of research to learn uh, about about the weather, about the world around us. And I encountered uh, yesterday, uh, just yesterday, from a professor at UCLA, uh, an interesting tweet. Um, and the, the the tweet reads, I'll read it to you just like this. It says, uh, "You can learn." It comes from uh, Daniel Swain. He writes, "You could write an entire meteorology textbook." just based on the phenomena visible from this afternoon's wild satellite imagery looking down at the American West. So this is yesterday, reference to yesterday. And uh, if you follow the the weather here in Utah on Twitter, uh, you you know that uh, that the hashtag here is uh, UTWX, all right, Utah weather, UTWX. And he includes in his tweet uh, California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, of course, Montana, and Idaho, and has some satellite imagery, uh, which is just, just stunning, absolutely stunning. What it shows is, it shows... Uh, some some clouds moving. They're moving uh, north to south, but also internally are moving uh, from west to east. Interesting. And then and then what you see as this giant body of clouds come moving down over Idaho, uh, Colorado. They're making their way towards 
Utah, you can see starting in California and some in Nevada, uh, there are a handful in Utah, you can see uh, the smoke uh, from wildfires. And essentially, the clouds up north and the wildfire smoke uh, down further south are on a collision course. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And how do those uh, two phenomena interact? Well, uh, the doctor continues. He says, most prominent is increasingly strong early season cold front plunging southward from Canada and currently stretching along a roughly east-west axis from eastern Washington to North Dakota. Clouds rapidly developing uh, behind the front as cold air replaces a very hot air mass. And that gets to what Grant Wayman was describing yesterday as the cause for the wind. I I was very bashful yesterday. The, the, the question I wanted to ask, but I just couldn't bring myself to ask it. I didn't want to feel foolish uh, because, you know, uh, wind is a part of life. I, I, I almost asked, uh, Grant, what exactly is wind? And I know it's a silly question, uh, but what I was curious about is what are the what are the phenomena that lead uh, you know to to the strong gusts of wind? And he was very kind and uh, and explained that to us, and that it's these uh, these these competing forces. Uh, anyway, the professor from UCLA continues. He says, next, next, he goes on to talk about the wildfire smoke. Next, there are numerous large wildfire smoke plumes visible in nearly every state not covered by clouds. So I described that big cloud mass uh, moving from like the Canadian border uh, south uh, and then uh, right along the northern uh, edge of Nevada, California and Utah. Uh, you, you see there's a, a bit of a break where the wildfire plumes uh, commence. Uh, Swain, Dr. Swain says next, there are numerous large wildfire smoke plumes visible in nearly every state not covered by clouds, including Washington, Oregon, California, Utah, Idaho and Colorado. What that means is in every one of those states I just read off to you, there are wildfires raging, wildfires raging. All right. And I could go on uh, for, for hours and hours about how you and I have a duty to make sure uh, that we're doing everything we can to limit those fires. I'll save that for another time. The total smoke volume is massive and extends across most of the continental U.S. Swain continues, the, F, the effects of strong winds associated with cold front are visible as well especially in eastern Washington, where there are both large fires and huge dust storms uh, visible. Across Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, strong winds ahead of the front are driving uh, explosive wildfire spread. So we've got it bad here in Utah. Uh, Our our neighbors in Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, they've got it. They've got it pretty bad as well. Uh, And then here is here's one of those phrases that you hear used in the movies, right, Uh, included in this next uh, tweet from uh, Daniel Swain, doctor from UCLA, uh, doctor of weather. He's uh, he keeps his eye on on weather patterns and, and follows and studies them. And uh, he said he claims that uh, the events of the past few days here in the West, uh, you you could write an entire textbook on the phenomenon observed here. Uh, he says this powerful and extremely early season cold front will bring extremely critical fire conditions uh, to Northwest Oregon. He calls it a once-in-50-years kind of event, a once-in-50-years kind of event, as well as record snowfall and cold across the Rocky Mountain uh, Front Range. Also a once-in-50-years kind of event. So that's something we're facing as well. And we talked recently uh, about that as the, the, the Farmer's Almanac uh, is, is released. We, uh, we learn that, uh, that this year is going to be a very, very chilly year. Uh, the, the doctor... R- Continues this front and subsequently 
cool air over Great Basin will also bring uh, season's first offshore wind event to California. It won't be as extreme by historical standards, but it comes at a time of unprecedented pre-existing wildfire activity and uh, is of great concern. So it's going to get windy in California, and that wind is quite literally going to uh, fan the flames. He, he concludes here by sharing this tidbit. The ultimate cause of this wild pattern across the western U.S. appears to be the amplification of the Pacific jet stream by two West Pacific typhoons thousands of miles away, leading to an extreme uh, ridge trough pattern over the Northeast Pacific and Western U.S. So this is one of those butterfly effect things. Everything that you and I have endured uh, over the past two days, the high winds, the low temperatures, uh, and, and the conditions which have arisen to, like I said, quite literally fan the flames here uh, in some portions of the West, they come from typhoons in the West Pacific, thousands of miles away. Butterfly effect. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Listen, thanks for going with me on that ride, (laughs) on that little uh, nerd science ride. This stuff to me is is fascinating. And uh, I like... Uh, you know, at the end of the day when I'm home and I'm hanging out with little baby Piper and uh, my wife and we're talking about the things we learned over the day to be able to explain uh, and understand, uh, you know, why why the weather was so extreme, why the temperature so cold. Uh, you know, it's good. It's edifying. And uh, it's good uh, in these times when everything's shut down. School is closed, so we got to learn about something. Uh, we're going to, in a moment, uh, we're going to, in a moment, take uh, a break. And when we return, I want to hear from you. I want to know exactly what you are experiencing here today. We spoke to uh, the the director of uh, the commissioner, rather, of the Utah Insurance Department, Todd Kaiser. He gave some tips on how to uh, first approach the damage that your home has sustained, that your yard has sustained, your car, uh, your property. Uh, What are you experiencing? What damage did your home sustain? I want to hear about it. Uh, And I want to hear about it because I want to know what my neighbors are going through. And I want to know... Uh, if there's any way that I might be able to help. So do me a favor. Pick up your phone, 801-575-8255, 801-575-TALK. Uh, what is life like right now in your neighborhood as these cleanup efforts uh, commence? Uh, pick up the phone. Give me a call. You and I will chat after the break here on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I want to hear what you are experiencing right now as you uh, may be in the midst of cleaning up the mess left in your yard, on your roof, in your driveway by yesterday's windstorm. Also, if I could throw this in there, I'm looking for a clever name. What do we call this windstorm of 2020? If you've got some suggestions, uh, why don't you give me a call? The number is 801-575-8255. 801-575-8255. Give a call. Amy will say hello, and you and I will be connected and chatting. I want to hear exactly what it is uh, you are going through. Uh, and if you've got some kind of crazy story, uh, all the better. You call in, you tell me that story. Also, <laughs> have in the back of your mind, what you think about this? What do we call the windstorm of yesterday? Uh, when when the history books look back, uh, what should they refer to uh, yesterday's windstorm? As uh, There's some cool suggestions coming in through text right now. Uh, the, the Utah Community Credit Union text line 57500. I'll share those with you uh, in a little bit. Uh, before we get to the phones, though, I want to uh, let you know that uh, Salt Lake County has now uh, added its name to the list 
of areas which have declared uh, a state of uh, emergency. The uh, the mayor, Mary Gen- Mayor Jenny Wilson, has made it known that Salt Lake County has issued a, a declaration of emergency for yesterday's high wind emergency event. Uh, the decision to issue the DOE, the Declaration of Emergency, was based on multiple concerns, she says, including the extent of damage, anticipated need for resources, and the cost of recovery. Uh, a local emergency declaration provides avenues for municipalities and counties to receive financial and material resources from the state and federal government. Salt Lake City and South Salt Lake have also issued emergency declarations. I didn't know that. Uh, I knew Salt Lake City had uh, South Salt Lake. Uh, turns out has as well. Uh, a quick heads up, I'll give you uh, in, in about uh, 22, 23 minutes uh, or so from now, just after 2 o'clock, it's anticipated that uh, Governor Gary Herbert will uh, address us and uh, share some of the information relevant to the, the cleanup. Uh, that coming uh, after just uh, about an hour and a half ago, uh, I learned that uh, the governor uh, announcing the declaration of a state of emergency statewide uh, and in the in his announcement of that uh, uh, declaration, he also points out that he's amazed at the efforts of Utahns working together to clean up the damage. And that is a, that's a wonderful thing. That that is uh, a thing for which we as Utahns uh, ought to be proud. We also, uh, as we go out uh, looking to help, we do need to stay uh, ever mindful of the power lines. Uh, not sure exactly what the state of all those uh, lines are, and so we need to make sure. That if we are going to be either addressing the fallen trees in our own yard uh, or those uh, that we may find in our neighbor's yard, if there are power lines underneath, uh, we need to be uh, darn sure uh, that we are not endangering ourselves. Uh, and I don't mean to sound, uh, you know, like uh, like your mother yelling at you, uh, but in addition to the power lines, uh, you heard earlier from uh, the doctor that we need to be uh, paying close attention to uh, carbon monoxide as we look to heat our homes while the power is out and the temperatures are low. So uh, getting to the phones here in just a moment, let me repeat the number so you can get in line. 801-575-8255 is the number. In just a moment, we're going to open up those uh, phone lines. Uh, but uh, the de- the declaration of emergency, uh, I if you can if you can think back if you can do some quick research for me how many have we had thus far this year at the at the state level let's say at the at the state level there was the earthquake i think we had one then uh i think the pandemic has has triggered one and uh now we have the windstorms of yesterday uh triggering the declaration of a state of emergency i just got a phone call uh from a woman didn't want to stay on the line but uh, it says that her car uh in in south i she was in her car and wondered uh, what the latest on the the power uh, getting fixed might be, and well, you heard from Spencer Hall uh, earlier today with Rocky Mountain Power. Uh, his estimation uh, was well, when he and I spoke yesterday, he was hopeful uh, that 24 hours would be all that would be required to restore that power. Well, right now we're 24 24 hours removed uh, from that conversation, but you know, you know, ch- complications and challenges arrive uh, arise. A new wind came late last night, and so it is looking like. Uh, it's looking like Thursday that the bulk of the power will be uh, restored tomorrow, Thursday. We'll touch base uh, with Spencer later on in the program, uh, and we'll find out uh, if he has any more precise uh, understanding of when uh, the power may be uh, restored. But right now, it's looking like it's looking like uh, uh, tomorrow 
most Utahns who are out of power right now will have their power restored. Uh, got another call with a question about trampolines. If you, <laughs> trampolines are hilarious, right? They're probably dangerous, and I think every you know every so often when the winds pick up, we hear uh, you know unfortunate stories about people getting uh, run into by flying trampolines. Uh, luckily, not too tragic. But the the the, the Almost like stock footage that you see in every single windstorm is some trampoline being lifted up out of the backyard and deposited into a tree nearby. And uh, there was no shortage of that just yesterday. And if you go, interestingly, if you go to my Facebook page right now, you go on Facebook, you type in Lee Lonsberry, you'll see the live mic logo. I tell you this all the time. I, make your way over there. And uh, I think the, the most recent posting or one of the most recent is uh, something I saw, and it is... Uh, there's a trampoline in someone's backyard. Now, uh, that's going to get picked up and swept away if it's just left unattended, at least in the the wind of yesterday's speeds. But if you happen to have something, if you happen to have something uh, so heavy uh, that the wind, that there's no way the wind is going to pick it up, uh, well, maybe you could use that to your advantage. So go over to my Facebook page, have a look. There is someone uh, who has uh, one of those big, giant backhoes, uh, you know, that rides on the tracks, uh, and they they backed it up to the trampoline, and they lowered uh, the bucket uh, to be positioned just in the center of the trampoline, and they uh, lowered it down a little bit to add a little tension. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the winds came and went, and the the, the backhoe and the trampoline uh, stayed put. The question, the reason uh, the reason we're talking about trampolines, the the question is, uh, what do I do if a trampoline blows from your house into your neighbor's house? Who would have to pay for the damages? Well, you know what? I probably should. I probably should have asked the the gentleman from the uh, insurance department, uh, Todd Kaiser, the commissioner up there, uh, what the, the the question or what the answer to that question might be. He did though talk about, and this may be applicable. He talked about who would be on the hook for damages uh, should a tree fall uh, from your neighbor's place onto. Uh, onto say your roof or your car park uh, carport or, or something like that, and uh, and no, not the neighbor, uh, but uh, but you. Uh, so you know if if damage befalls your home uh, and it comes from the tree in the neighbor's place, that that's still on you. And I don't know if that's the case with the trampoline, but uh, one one thing I can be sure of. Uh, that is a question you should uh, ask of your insurance adjuster and not the loudmouth on the radio. We're going to take a break in just a moment. And when we return, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. There is uh, uh, there's something playing out right now in a Utah courtroom. Uh, Deseret News reporter Amy Donaldson is in that courtroom at this very moment. Uh, and uh, when we when we return, uh, we're, she's going to step out, and we're going to hear about uh, what may be a judge's decision to either allow or disallow the creation of girls' football in public schools uh, here in the state of Utah. Do you have a girl? Does she want to play football? Does she want to play on a, an all-girls team? Well, that happens nowhere else in the country right now. Could Utah, at the end of this lawsuit, or end of this trial, rather, uh, be the first state to uh, to to offer that. Interesting. We'll find out next. We'll have a conversation with Amy Donaldson on girls football. Next on Live Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me, and this is the point where I thought I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. 
I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.